welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting uh, from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people who are known today as the Stockbridge Muncie community. I'm Kim McPherson, broadcasting from Arizona. And I'm David. Today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we begin with Mark Dunley's discussion with local climate and solid waste advocate, ad, activist Diane Wright. Diana Wright. Diana runs Food Scraps 360 to assist with curbside composting for residences and businesses. Then we will have a live interview with local transportation and environmental advocate, Gary Nelson. Later on, Jacob Boston shares his the voices of, from the Oakwood Community Center, which gathered on December 3rd for their holiday celebration. Finally, Tom Francis highlights D. Colin in this week's Poetry Bucket. But first, here are the headlines. The new, U, new, uh, the, uh, new York's new gun law remains intact, at least temporarily after federal appeals court yesterday paused the lower court's ruling blocking a key section of laws that bans firearms in parks, public transit systems, and on private property without property owners' permissions. The New York State Education Department put out its state aid proposal Monday and is asking for a $3.4 billion increase from the current budget year. The proposal is the largest requested school aid increase in state history, which the department says is due to a fully funded foundation aid and inflation. Prices rose less than expected in November, the latest sign that the runaway inflation that has been gripping the economy is beginning to slow down. The consumer price index just rose from 0.1% from October through an increase at 7.1% from a year ago. A new Siena College poll found that almost all New Yorkers say they view crime as a serious problem in the state, regardless of political party, and many believe it should be the top priority for the governor and state lawmakers. The next two top concerns were inflation and housing. As usual, with such polls, however, Siena failed to ask about climate change, even though it is seen as the most serious threat to the future of humanity. Also, the state of New York will provide a grant and interest-free financing to the Albany Municipal Water Finance Authority, which funds coming, with funds coming from the federal bipartisan infrastructure law and a state water infrastructure grant. The $3.75 million project will prevent water from the Hudson River from entering sewer infrastructure during high water events. They are also receiving $6.5 million in interest-free funding from the Upper Washington Avenue pump station. The village of Scattercoke is receiving $4.6 million in long-term interest-free funding to help upgrade its water system. The office of the chief medical examiner positively identified the remains found in Lee, uh, Massachusetts in September as those of missing Shaker high school teacher Megan Marone, but was unable to determine cause and manner of death due to the condition of the remains. And that's it for the headlines. For those just tuning in, you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine listener-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding capital region through broad grassroots participation. Our content is produced by volunteers. To learn how you can contribute, go to mediasanctuary.org, 
email us at hmmmediasanctuary.org or call 518-272-2390. And moving right along to our first segment, Mark Donnelly sat down with Dinerite to tell us all about the curbside composting in the counties of the Capital Region and beyond. We're joined by uh, Diana Wright, who's a local uh, climate and, and solid waste uh, activist. She's been very active with uh, PAWS, People of All Be United for Safe Energy, and the Zero Waste Campaign that grew out of uh, PAWS, trying to reduce the amount of solid waste and particularly promote compost. And in fact, she decided to you know set up her own local uh, composting um, business, I guess, uh, Food Scraps uh, you know, 360. So we've asked Diana to join us today to talk about, you know, how that, that effort is going and what we could do to make composting more viable here in the Capital District. So, you know, Diana, why don't you give us a brief introduction to, you know, what is Food Scraps 360? Sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, Food Scraps 360 is a business that was in existence before I bought it in 2019, and we basically pick up residential um, food scraps, kitchen scraps from residents curbside and bring it to the Bethlehem compost facility where they make it into um, compost for gardens and um, residents can pick it up there if they want some for their gardens, but normally it gets sold to um, landscapers and farmers. And we also have a commercial side that picks up from businesses, restaurants, um, and we're trying to grow that because I just purchased a 16-yard packer, packer truck that um, that I need to be able to pay for. So getting more commercial um, venues in the area would be super sweet. You know, the state a couple of years ago passed a law to require some of the large um, businesses that generate a lot of food waste um, to, to compost rather than put it into their landfill. And in fact, the uh, draft climate law, which is finally being developed under the new climate law CLCPA, you know, does actually talk about we should really expand, you know, that law and really try to to push more uh, commercial businesses to do composting. But also, reality, we need to figure out how do we really do, you know, make it easier for residential customers um, to participate. What What are some of the things that you see that might be helpful in terms of actually trying to increase uh, composting? Well, that's a really, really good question. I'm glad you asked it. Um, the, the law isn't is a wonderful law, but the problem is that the infrastructure isn't there yet, so that um, there's full participation. In fact, that there's not very much participation at all. Um, the law states that you need to have a compost facility within 25 miles of your location and a way to get it there. And Bethlehem Compost Facility is the only one that is in the capital region um, that's set up to take it. Um, and they are very particular about the um, contamination. So I actually have to pick through our commercial um, food scraps to make sure that there's no rubber gloves and milk cartons and other things that are not compostable that get in it because we do, like I said before, sell it to um, gardeners and for people to, to grow food in. Um, so I, I really have been pushing, trying to get all of the capital district municipalities and, and counties to try to collaborate. Each county really needs to have their own compost facility. And Bethlehem started out 20 years ago, very small. 
and they've grown because um, they've they saw the need. Albany and Schenectady and Rensselaer have looked at it. They're talking about it, but it is very overwhelming. There's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of expertise involved. There's a lot of logistics involved. So doing it on your own is is very daunting. So if all of the counties in the capital district could get together and collaborate, then each county could start to grow their compost because each one of them already has um, a yard waste compost facility. We just need to start gradually adding the food scraps to it so that we can build up to be able to handle the capacity that we're going to need once we really have to get all of the food scraps out of the landfill because the landfills are filling up. It's creating methane gas that's creating um, more carbon that's warming the, the atmosphere even more. So um, this is a big problem that is easily solved if people can collaborate and work together. Now, I remember 25 years ago, I um, started this green uh, city project, partly as a part-time professor at, at RPI. One of our big focuses was really trying to convince the city of Troy to really expand its uh, composting program. And we you know, laid out a whole scheme about how they could do it. How is and I know that uh, you know Troy does have a solid waste uh, director. How is Troy moving on on composting? Troy got a grant a couple of years ago, and they have contracted with Foodscrest 360 as their partner to to provide residential compost uh, food scraps pickup at 250 pilot participants for two years. It started last year, and it will end in November of 2023, and they're hoping to get another grant that can continue it and expand upon it. But their main focus is that their grant covers all of the expenses for their residents so that they don't have to pay for it. And then the Troy and the grant, um, USDA, uh, pays us for the service. So that makes it very easy for, for the residents of Troy, and it's going really, really well. We had over 100 and 30 people sign up within 24 hours of them announcing that they wanted it. And there's still a waiting list of people who want to get on, um, but it's limited to 250 people. So that's been going really well. And um, people are really doing well at putting stuff in that's not contaminated. And they ask questions if they're not sure what to put in it. And people are really getting into it. People understand the importance of it and, and they enjoy the, the, the rewarding feeling of knowing that they're doing something good. I don't want to insert you into city of Troy politics, but I, I, I do remember a couple of years ago, it was a big fight in the city of Troy because they decided to pull solid waste out of the property tax stream and, and set up a separate fee, for, basically for, 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 for garbage, which becomes you know a fighting point every time they adopt the city budget. Has the city at all thought about taking some of that money if, in fact, they cannot get their grants to continue? And this also sounds to me like something where the state should, in fact, you know, say, hey, this really worked well in Troy. You know, let's not only refund Troy at more funding, but let's try to expand this to as many communities as possible. Oh, I would love for that to happen. Um, I would love to expand to um to all of the counties that are in the capital region and and be able to pull out as much as possible. Uh, I have no idea what they're looking at. I don't talk about that with them, so I don't know what their plans are as far as that goes. So if somebody is out there saying, hey, I would like to be able to compost more, what what suggestions do you have for, you know, an individual homeowner or, or tenant or, you know, resident here in the Capital District? 
Well, the city of Albany also has a pilot program. It's slightly different than uh, Troy's in that the city of Albany will pay for the setup fee. Um, and then the resident uh, is is responsible for the monthly fees. But you can go to foodscraps360.com to get more information and to sign up if you want to. Send us an email if you have any questions. Um, but that the, uh, the, I, also the city of Albany's website um, for their composting, they actually have a page for composting, has information too. And Food Scraps 360 and Radix are both um, the residential pickup, curbside pickup services. They, the city of Albany also would provide a backyard composting bin for free with instructions on how to use it. Um, or you can bring your compost to Radix or Tivoli. Um, right now, those are the only two free drop-off sites in the city um, so that you wouldn't have to pay for it, but you'd have to get it there yourself. Those are the three options. Or you can do it in your backyard. With so, so, so Radix Center is over there in the south end, I believe, on Grand Street. And, yeah, Grand and, and Warren. And, and Tivoli's over there on Livingston and Orbe yep. Hill. Compost, you know, 101, you take your, you know, your organic material, your food waste from your house, you throw it into a bin. It's supposed to add on dirt or other leaves. How do you do it in the last 20 seconds or so? Well, believe it or not, even though I'm in the composting business, I'm not really sure what the recipe is, but I know that you do have to um, add greens like grass and um, lettuce, stuff like that. Um for nitrogen and then for you also have to have browns which are leaves and and um twigs and things like that paper brown paper bags um to in, in, introduce the carbon into it or maybe it's vice versa um but you have to have a, a a mixture and keep it not too wet and not too dry keep it in the sun so that it can bake and if you're doing it in your backyard you can't put in dairy or meat um, because it gets smelly and attracts vermins from we're, we're, we're out of time if people want more information about food scraps how can they do that uh they can call uh 518-888-7144 or go to foodscraps360.com thank you very much diana wright and this has been mark dunley for the hudson mohawk magazine we have more composting resources on our website at mediasanctuary.org Go to mediasanctuary.org and type compost in the search bar. Now over to David. We welcome to the studio Gary Nelson. Gary has a long history in Troy and elsewhere of advocacy in the areas of transportation and the environment. Welcome, Gary. Thank you. Glad to be here. Gary, you've graduated from RPI. You've had employment in the private sector in the public sector, municipalities, and federal government, and been active in a series of nonprofit organizations. It's quite an imp impressive history and passion. You're currently serving on the Troy Council's Sustainability Task Force. Will you tell us what that is and how your role in that is contributing to change in the environment? Well, I hope it's contributing to change. It is a uh, task force that was established by the city council, and I was one of the original appointees. This is, oh, 2019, I believe, when we started up. Uh, most of our activity right now is focused on engaging Troy in the state's uh, clean energy communities program. 
And that basically consists of a number of actions that a uh, city can take in order to gain points and uh, scores, which potentially have uh, grants attached to them back to Troy. Uh, but our main focus in terms of the community is a number of campaigns. And uh, we have a flyer out, and one should look at the Troy City website, by the way, to uh, find where that is somewhere on the, uh, the website. Um, but there are four basic campaigns we're trying to emphasize that can get people involved in contributing to the reduction of greenhouse gases. Uh, they are solar power with both a community and rooftop component, electric vehicles, uh, clean heating and cooling, and uh, demand response energy metering. Uh, of these, uh, I really think that the uh, rooftop solar is the most promising. As uh, many people know, Troy had uh, a very active program of Solarized Troy, and uh, I, in fact, participated in that at the time. Uh, and this is about 10 years ago now. Uh, but it succeeded in getting a lot of rooftop uh, solar capacity in Troy. Uh, I have to mention one of the barriers to that is the regulations uh, by National Grid that limit you to 110% supposedly of your power consumption in terms of solar installation. Uh, frankly, I don't think I got anywhere near that, uh, but I also think it's irrational to limit the rooftop installations. If you got the rooftop and you got the money, you should generate solar. And I think that's showing up as being important to uh, counteract the increased demands for air conditioning in the summer now. Uh, in the longer run, of course, we've got a problem of storage. And I think that can be solved, uh, again, by a program that uh, actively shows you how uh, and where to purchase a complete installation for both the solar generation and perhaps wind generation in addition to that and the storage. Uh, but that's where we certainly have to go in the future. Uh, electric vehicles, of course, are substituting a one kind of vehicle for another, and I think there's a more basic uh, problem of modal uh, service and choice in cities there, uh, which we can talk about. Uh, the clean heating and cooling, geothermal is coming. Uh, Troy is pursuing a demonstration project on that in the Monument Square area, uh, and hopefully that'll be expanded over time. Uh, the demand response is a program run by the utility National Grid and uh, uh, one can sign up for it. I think it benefits mainly large uh, utility users, uh, but it is to say that the uh, you're, you're metering your consumption according to the time of day and therefore uh, potentially the reduction of greenhouse gases by the timing of your consumption. In 2018, the City Council ad adopted a new comprehensive master plan and the Sustainability Task Force was part of that. It also addressed areas of concern that you've had for a long time in terms of transportation. What can you share with us about the situation now and what we inherited from past decisions, either positive or negative? Well, first of all, let me say that uh, a comprehensive plan is really a pro forma document. I mean, this originates in federal requirements under the housing program. Uh, if you want federal money, you shall have a comprehensive plan. How much of development that controls is another issue. Uh, and I like to cite a uh, statement uh, I heard a long time ago when uh, uh, I saw a presentation by Tony Nellison, who is a fairly famous urban planner and architect. Uh, and he's the initiator of what's called the uh, Visual Preference Survey. And so you go into a community and ask, what would your community like to, or what kind of community would you like to have? And the answer he got in one case was, well, we'd like Paris. 
Okay, well, everybody likes Paris. You know, great architecture, uh, not high rises, uh, spread out on boulevards. Uh, you ignore the traffic on the Champs d'Elysees. <laughs> um, but, you know, people would like a good urban environment that is really classical. And Troy had that. And unfortunately, Troy gave that away. And uh, you really have to go back into the reasons why that happened. Um, and we could discuss that further. But I think the comprehensive plan, and I participated in it uh, before I got on the uh, sustainability uh, task force, uh, the one thing I inserted in that was to restore rail passenger service to Troy. Uh, we have the right-of-way. It comes all the way uh, up to Adams Street uh, from South Troy there. It is the remnant of what was a direct service uh, all the way from New York City by the New York Central. And uh, rail access was central to the creation of urban downtowns. And when that went away, and in the case of passenger service for Troy, that was 1958, uh, the location itself lost its potential for development. And I think from that, you can trace uh, all the further problems that Troy went through. Uh, but to tear down the architecture is not a solution to the problem. And we have the example just recently of, okay, declaring unfit the uh, building that was next to the uh, police offices there. Uh, well, you're either interested in preservation and will invest in the buildings, or you will bring in an engineer who says, all right, it's got a little defect there, and we're going to tear it down. Uh, okay, that was the county's responsibility, but I think it's just one more continuation of uh, a bad policy of not having sufficient interest in the form of Troy and just using excuses to demolish things in the hopes that something will sprout up. And something that sprouts up is never as good as what was there, quite frankly. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, we look at uh, the Uncle Sam Mall, the atrium. And uh, I just recently processed a number of my old slides from the early 1970s showing when they demolished the area for that and they put up the parking garage. Uh, and now we come full circle uh, these many years later, uh, I count it uh, almost 50 years, and we're taking down the parking garage and trying to go back to a mixed-use development. Well, okay, that's progress. That is good. Uh, but I think it's indicative of the mistake that was made in the first place. And... Uh, to me, the, the major mistake of that project, which again was a big bunch of federal money coming down that the, the city really couldn't manage properly, uh, but the brilliance of Troy, just in terms of its layout, was the way the streets were platted. And what we had was a number of the streets that go strictly north-south, except for River Street. River Street happens to follow the bend of the Hudson. And what that did was create a very interesting set of squares. Monument Square survives. Uh, Franklin Square is gone. Uh, that's totally obscured. Uh, but the real center of the downtown, the 100% corner in real estate terms, the center of commerce, was really the square that was created where Fulton comes out onto River Street. Uh, and that is particularly what the parking garage and the plans for the atrium distorted. So basically, the Uncle Sam Mall put a big square overlaid on the street pattern, uh, eliminated the pattern that we had, and substituted a big blank block in the middle of it. Okay, I think that was an architectural mistake and a planning mistake. Um, but that gets into the other issues we were battling at the time. I mean, you've talked to Joe Fama in the past, and uh, you know he and I were colleagues back in the time, when, along with many others, Tom Blandy, uh, was another activist at the time. 
And we were basically trying to fight the illogic of what Troy was doing to itself. Uh, so then you have to look at the mall combined with the Hoosier Street Bridge project, which was uh, the first highway project I really got active on. And if you look at those projects together, what was the scheme? And I can only characterize it as a scheme to tear down a city and concentrate more auto traffic in it. Well, okay, the Uncle Sam Mall was basically a poor imitation of what was happening out in the suburbs. Uh, by the time you had the Northway uh, coming across Route 5, you knew that the center of commerce would be headed out in that direction. Uh, so that was one nail in the coffin of Troy. Uh, but to try and correct that by just putting a highway in that ultimately would correct, uh, connect Brunswick directly with the commercial development uh, around the Northway uh, and uh, around uh, the Circle in Latham, uh, I mean, it was just totally uh, inappropriate to do anything beneficial for Troy. So it was a basic mistake of logic, except it was sold as, okay, you need the Hoosier Bridge in order to serve the mall so that Troy can prosper. Well, Troy's not going to prosper, and the bridge just managed to eliminate a whole bunch of the market for the downtown and a, bunch, and a neighborhood that uh, did sit under the bridge at that time. And in fact, it was also the concentration of the black population in Troy. So if you want to talk about environmental equity, that was an excellent negative example of it at the time. And these were all points we argued in trying to litigate the environmental impact statement. Uh, we did not prevail, as is the case with most highway battles. So the, the, this originated then in part due to the, the Federal Highway Act and the, the housing plan and urban renewal designs. How would you say your vision is different from those visions and, and what shaped your vision? Yeah, well, you have to go back quite a long way to understand the origins of both the highway program and the housing program. Um, they kind of reach a, a culmination during the New Deal. That's when the idea of the interstate highway system was articulated. And uh, when the program of uh, housing replacement in cities also uh, arose. And, and let me say, having lived in uh, the D.C. area, the initial examples of the housing program in terms of Garden City kind of concepts was really quite good. Uh, in fact, my daughter yet lives down there in Arlington in one of the examples, and they're really very nice townhouse neighborhoods. Uh, but when you got to uh, many cities after the 1949 Act, it was slum clearance. Well, what's a slum? Well, it's the center of town. Uh, it has a racist element to it, but anything that was old was fair game for being torn down. And with that was eliminated the social fabric and the commercial fabric of many cities. Uh, and that had been attacking Troy since the 1950s, basically, when the money started coming through from the uh, 49 Act. Uh, the highway program goes back much further. Uh, I mean, you have to go back to 1893 even, when the first federal uh, activity in highways uh, originated, and that was in the Department of Agriculture. And you have a program that morphed from being about rural good roads to ultimately, after 1939, uh, a program basically to pave over the cities in order to accommodate auto traffic in them. Uh, so once you accept that illogic, uh, the rest follows. You come to 1956, and from 1956 you come to the projects uh, that affected us here in this region. 
That's quite a, an ancient history, but how is it pertinent to us today, and how can members of this community radio station get involved in either the concern for the environment or transportation? Okay, well, I always go by the axiom that everybody does as well as they can, can under the circumstances. I mean, we all pursue our own interests uh, locally, and that's a good thing. But the circumstances are the kind of thing I'm concerned with. I mean, as you pointed out, I have a career that was down and around the uh, federal government there. Uh, I'm a system engineer, and I think more toward the circumstances that either force us to behave in certain ways or take away certain opportunities that we had. Uh, you know, you talk about electric transportation. We had it. We had the electric trolleys. Well, you look at what made them go away. Okay, and I think it was basically a failure in federal policy uh, on the one hand to promote the automotive and on the other hand to do nothing about what they knew in 1920 uh, was a mode in financial trouble. All right, the choice was there for the federal government. Uh, since the federal government did not act properly and states did not step in, we all suffer under the consequence. We lost the opportunity to have uh, what is still called transit-oriented development. It is what we had, it was efficient, it relates then to the greenhouse gas generation, uh, and that's what we need to bring back, but we can't do it individually. We need a change in formal policy. That's quite a, a, a challenge. Um, Gary, thank you for sharing your story and your, your vision for us. Um, is there any particular individual or writer or thinker that shaped your vision, and, and how might that inform us today? Okay. Yeah, well, I, uh, I blame a lot on my old colleague, Joel Woodhull, who had his own career as a transportation activist, uh, both here and when he moved back to his uh, home state in uh, California. Uh, so I owe a lot to him. He, in fact, is the one who threw the uh, impact statement for the Hoosier Street Bridge on my desk. <laughs> I remembered still in 1972, and that's pretty much what started it for me. Uh, in terms of an author, uh, I think a lot about Lewis Mumford. Mm -hmm. I think if you read his Technics and Civilization, uh, you understand a lot about what shapes our particular uh, ecology and our economy, and therefore what our relationship is to the ecology. We use technology. Uh, my career as a system engineer has been devoted to applying technology, and that's where the real trick is, to apply technology to actually improve things rather than using it to consume more things. Well, David, I think we're out of time for today, sadly. Um, thank you for joining us, Gary, and sharing your uh, expertise, experience, and current uh, efforts. For those just tuning in, I'm Keelan McPherson. And I'm David. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Troy, WOOGLP 92.7 FM Troy, WOOSLP 98.9 FM Schenectady, and WOOALP 106.9 FM Albany and streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. If you like what you hear, you can support this program by telling a friend. Find today's stories and more at mediasanctuary.org. Jacob Austin interviewed people from the Oakwood Community Center Holiday Party. 
The center hosts a food pantry, event space rentals, a monthly free store, and an after-school program for the performing arts. The holiday party brought communities together to celebrate their work and hope for the coming year. Okay, can you please introduce yourself? Sure, my name is Rachel Lorimer. Describe where we are right now. Absolutely. This is the Hillside North Holiday Showcase. It's a celebration of community and creativity here in the Hillside North neighborhood. And we are welcoming in the holiday season. We've got live performances today. Um, we have activities for kids. And we're just here to see the artwork that the students have made from school too as well. So really just celebrating the creativity and strength of the community. And what does it mean to you that this event was brought together and that there's a lot of people here. It's a great turnout. It's a really big deal, actually. It's, um, it's beautiful to see the community come together. Yeah. It's exciting to see everybody, especially after COVID, come out and celebrate mm -hmm. um, and just have a positive, positive afternoon, you know, like a, yeah. a family-oriented activity to do. It's been a great day. It definitely has. Uh, everyone, it seems everyone's happy. I asked a few kids if they're on the nice list. Some of them said maybe. We'll see. The man is coming. He's coming later, yes. Yes. Uh, Santa, we hear, will be here around 4 o'clock. So after this performances, kids can come back downstairs and um, have their picture taken with Santa. So. And how excited are you to, to see the kids' reaction when the man himself, Mr. Christmas, walks through the door? <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be curious to see their reactions. We do have all ages here, so we may have some believers, we may have some non-believers, but um, we'll oh, see yeah. who we find. Yeah. The non-believers could make this a very different experience, <laughs> but <laughs> let's, let's just hope they, they keep the Christmas joy alive. There you go. <laughs> um, if there was one thing that you could bring to North Troy, whether that's like better housing, safer community, mm. What would it be? Um, money. <laughs> <laughs> yes. When you look around, you know, most of the struggles in anyone's life mm -hmm. come from resources, money, yeah. you know. So the, the more opportunities that are available to people and the more opportunities for expression, for collaboration, for employment, all of that, um, it puts together all the puzzle pieces. Um, but I would say... I don't know where it will come from, but money. I'm putting that wish out there. <laughs> Santa is on his way. I'll make sure to ask him. Thank you. <laughs> Who am I here with? I'm here with three special guests. Um, I'm going to go down the line. You guys can say your names and how old you are. And Okay, we're going to start. My guy to my immediate left. What's your name? My name is Jeremiah, and I'm, I'm eight. What about you? My name is Julia. I'm five. And how about you? My name is Miracle and I'm eight. You want to see Santa? You here to see Santa? Yeah. Yes. So, yes. you you be you been good this year? Yes. You you think you you're on the nice list for sure? Yes. If I asked your mom, she would say you're on the nice list. Yes. Is he on the nice list? Yes, he is. So, since you are made it, since you've made it on the nice list, what do you want for Christmas the most? Um, Xbox. Oh, that's a big step in that being a kid. Your first Xbox. So, when Santa comes and if he brings that Xbox, how excited are you gonna be on a scale from one to ten? Uh, ten. I'm back with 
Jeremiah. Okay. So have you been good this year? Yes, I have been really good. So Santa, Santa's put you on the nice list, right? Yes. Okay, so what do you offer Christmas the most out of anything? PS4. Oh, wait a minute now. Your brother said he wants an Xbox. So the war begins. What, what's going to be your reaction when you get that PS4 on Christmas? Scale from 1 to 10, how excited will you be? A thousand. <laughs> a thousand. And what, 10 out of 10. And what if it's an Xbox? Zero. <laughs> but it is, it's still good. Oh, yeah, okay, to. okay. I'll be like nine or eight. Okay, so it's not a thousand, but it, it's still still a, it's still good. you still be happy, right? What about you? What do you want for Christmas the most? Pokemon cards. Pokemon cards? Yeah. And have you been nice this year? If Santa, if I ask Santa Claus myself, because I know him, that's my guy. If I ask him if you're on the nice list, he's going to say yes? Maybe. Maybe. Oh, oh. Why, why maybe? Why not yes? Because, um, I don't know. Oh, you don't know. You, you, you don't know. You're, you're, trying to, you're trying to keep it on the down low. You can't, you can't say what you did right now because Santa might be watching. He's going to be here later. What are you going to tell him when he gets here? You're going to ask him for that, for them Pokemon cards, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to make sure you get them, all right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to Santa. I'm going to be like, yo, Santa, you're my guy. Make sure she gets them Pokemon cards or we're going to have a problem, all right? Make sure. All right. But you got to turn that maybe to a yes. How much? How many times we got? We got like 23 days till Christmas. Got to get on that nice list, all right? Yeah. All right, cool. We'll be, we'll be back with updates. Okay, I'm here with... Lantisha Diaz. And I just talked to your kids. They told me their Christmas gifts are... They told me what they are. If I ask Santa, are they on the nice list? They both said yes. I'm asking the mom herself, are they on the nice list this year? Yeah, they are on the nice list. I know you're close. All the parents are tied on with Santa. Um, how excited for you to see your kid's reaction when the man himself walks through the door? I am very excited. What is your favorite part of just the holiday season? My favorite part is watching my kids open their presents. That's my mom's favorite part, too. Anyway. Okay. Okay, can you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Queen Daniels. I have a business called Visual Effects. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what that is? So I started over the pandemic this little hobby of um, transforming old boxes, like to recycle and reuse them. And I just had so much arts and crafts in my house. I started using bling and paint and all different things. So right now, what I have is um, some miniature boxes that are filled with... Um, candle melt in different scents that I handmade my own self. So I make everything on the tables, I make my own self. So like I said, you have your partner in crime here. You guys are working together. Um, tell our listeners who's here with you. Okay, so this is my daughter. Her name is Queen as well. And she has her own business called Queen's Kisses that I've been managing for her because, you know, I just been doing that with her um she has queen's kisses i have visual effects and we do um completely different things hers is on etsy um right now we have um, he, um heat transfers and uh we'll be putting some of this stuff up later on tonight or tomorrow that i have on these tables so it seems that you guys are just pretty passionate about just art in general right mm -hmm. so what makes you so passionate about art 
I don't know. It just comes natural. It's just like um, I, I grew up with, I grew up doing art with my mom and my sisters and brothers, and it just stuck. It just comes natural. I'm, I'm, I have like a creative nature. And we're in the holidays. So, what is your favorite part about the holidays? And once again, you are pretty big on art. So, do you? How does it, how does that work when it comes to decorations at your house? Is that a <laughs> is that a pretty big event? Yes. I would assume it is, right? Yes, I have um, three very big containers of holiday decorations, mm. and um, I have one container, uh, three Christmas and one um, Halloween container. So yeah, um, decorating. When we pull out the Halloween decorations, we put up the Christmas tree and start decorating for mm. Christmas as well. So yeah, it's big. It's a big decorating party over there. Is that your favorite part about the holidays, or what is your favorite part about this holiday season? My favorite part about the holidays is um, family, seeing family, being around family, um, community events such as this one we're at right now, um, being together with the community. Everything about the holidays, mostly family and community, are my favorite parts of the, the holidays. And we have an event going on here. The kids are about to see Santa Claus himself, the man, the myth, and the legend. Uh-huh. Um how how what's the atmosphere like being here um all the kids are pretty happy what's it been like for you to just be here in the middle of it and just kind of enjoy it well i'm uh, part of it is is very exciting because um i work at school too and my students have a lot of art on the walls it's part partly like an art show for my um students at school too so it's exciting to see the students who have art on the wall come in and be a part of this event and the students who just are in the community come in and be a part of the event. It's um, The art is beautiful. It, it looks good up on the walls and I'm excited to be here. I'm, I was very excited to be here. And if there's one thing that you could bring to North Choi to make it a better environment and just a better place in general, what do you think it would be? Oh, gosh. Um togetherness that is a good one togetherness that's the first thing that came to my mind just togetherness and being a community of one i like that i like that thank you okay so can you introduce yourself hi my name is kevin Pryor. and what do you do i'm the president of troy look inc a non-for-profit organization here in the city of troy life options opportunity knowledge is the acronyms of look and can you tell us a little bit about your involvement in the community and how you leave a positive impact on the community? Born and raised here on 9th Street in North Central Troy. Um, started my first program at the age of 17. Um, I have a passion of helping people. Uh, we have so many programs in the community. Um, the anti-bullying program called Speak Out. Um, my friend has Face for All Children Everywhere basketball program. We have mentor programs, we have um, um, speaking bureaus, we have um, second chance program where you get a, uh, we do pro bono work with lawyers uh, for um, nonviolent um, um, victims um, that committed crimes. Um, I just have a passion to help people. I just love, I just love when people see me later on life and say thank you. And that's it, that's all it takes for me. We don't get paid for doing this. I work a day job from 6.30 to 2.30. After that, it's all community-based work. And especially around like the holiday season, this is the time where helping people is more, I guess, prominent. People are more willing to go out of the way. 
um, what is it like for you, and what is it usually like around the community during this time, and what is your favorite part about the holidays in this community? Well, the favorite part about the holidays is me helping people. We usually take on like four families for Christmas. Um, Thanksgiving, we gave away, what, 65 turkeys to families. So holidays are very special to me because everybody should be enjoying them. And when you're um, in this day and time, how the, um, the, the um, what is it? how it's so hard to, to, the prices and all that has gone up for groceries and stuff and people are struggling. I, I'm, we're, just, we're just blessed to be able to um, be a helping hand to them. And we're at this event. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your involvement in this and how does it feel to just be in this atmosphere with everyone just happy and enjoying themselves? Well, I was honored that they had Justin called me to see if I can be an MC. I never MC before in my life, but I love to talk. So um, it, it was an amazing, amazing atmosphere. It came, brought the people out. All the people came. They were happy, having fun, and enjoying themselves. Okay, I am here with Santa Claus. It is. It's him. I'm. This is. This might be the greatest interview I've ever done in my life. Um, this is your. I don't. I, I've lost kind of how many times it is. This has been for you around the around the world. What is your favorite part about the holiday season? Well, I think the favorite part is sliding down the chimney and bringing all the, all the children their gifts. And I asked all these kids, I asked a lot of them, are they on the nice list? A couple of them said maybe. Um, how's that been this year? How's, how, how's the process of seeing who gets the gifts and who doesn't this year? How's it been? Oh, as always, it's very difficult, but we find a way to make sure that everyone gets on the nice list. I always wanted to wonder, how does, like, because some houses, you can't park a reindeer on top of triangle houses. How does that work? They can float above like a helicopter. They just hover, and I can rappel down. Oh, that is amazing. And, you know, all these kids, Santa Claus, is, it makes kids, you know, be better people because they think, you know, I got to be nice to people because I get gifts on Christmas. So can you speak a little bit about the impact that Santa Claus has on just kids in general and how it makes them behave a little bit better? Well, I think it does help them for a little bit of the time, but I think what they really need to learn is to be that way all year round and not always just for gifts, but for to be kind to each other and be kind to the people in their community. Christmas is almost here. Suggestions for cookies to leave the night before. What's your favorite cookie? Well, my favorite cookie is just a plain sugar cookie. Not no, over chocolate chip? Over chocolate chip. Okay. Rough estimate, how many elves you have um, employed this year? We have about 250,000 elves working at the North Pole right now. Okay, oh my God. Um, once again, this has been Santa, Mr. Christmas, Santa Claus himself. It's been an honor. I appreciate you. This is the perfect way to wrap this up. Um, any last words before we go off? Merry Christmas to all. Yes, yeah, exactly. Merry Christmas. Uh, I got to get out of here before I lose my mind. Thank you. We have a previous roundup for the Holiday Showcase at the Oakwood Community Center, in which we hear from the organizers at Oakwood Community Center in Trip, the principal of School 2 and Stephen Figueroa. Find that on our website, mediasanctuary.org. Now time for the fifth segment. Finally, Tom Francis brings us his, this week's poetry bucket featuring D. Collin. D. Collin is a Haitian-American multidisciplinary artist who works in poetry, theater, and visual arts. 
She is a New York State Writers Institute fellow as well as the author of Dreaming in Creole and Said the Swing to the Hoop. Her work has appeared in Trolley, Ink and Nebula, Jaded Ibis Press, and Porter Gulch Review. She is the 2022 Excellence in Arts and Letters Award recipient for UAlbany's Alumni Association. On April 18, 2018, Dee Collin was featured at the Albany Poets Presents reading, and she read her poem, Up Ahead, We'll See. Peter Vaughn, not Peter Vaughn, not caught one pokey. Peter Vaughn, not Peter Vaughn, not caught one pokey. Up ahead, we'll see. Up ahead, we'll understand why. Up ahead, we'll see. Up ahead, we'll understand why. Our eyes rise to the skies, and like the dry months, no replies rain down except the tears from our eyes. Tonight, we see the stars, and they are our only company. And for those of us who cannot see from beneath debris, hear the men, children, women scream, Amre! Get pitié! Have mercy, and we wait, we wait, we wait, we wait for our hungry stomachs to survive another day of waiting for our lungs to breathe the air again, though stenched with the decay of rotting bodies. Our eyes long to see the living pulled out from the rubble and walking among us again. We don't sleep. We wait for the earth to shake again and again and again and again. So many times we all rest outside under a star-studded sky. It has become our blanket. It has become our roof. It has become our truth of newfound possibility as we walk the streets of Kafu and Leogan and Poroquens confused. The palace has become a center for aid. We wait to see what real changes this earthquake has made will make. The Catedral Palais Nacional are gone, but we remain strong. Our businesses, our hospitals, our schools, our homes have crumbled, but we still dig through the rubble. We still dig. We are still here. And we wait for God. We wait for the world. We are still here. And we are still strong. At nights we fill the air with song. The earth cannot shake our hope. Our hope lives inside us. And we will survive this despite all questions. Why? Our answer is Peter Von Peter Von Akompon Puki. Peter Von Peter Von Akompon Puki. Up ahead we'll see. Up ahead we'll understand. Why up ahead we'll see. Up ahead we'll understand. At night we fill the air with song. Our hope, our hope remains unshaken. At night we fill the air with song. Our hope. Our hope is still alive, that's why we sing. Peter von Auer, Peter von Akompon Puki, Peter von Auer, Peter von Akompon Puki, up ahead we'll see, up ahead we'll understand why, up ahead we'll see, I can't clap, <laughs> we'll understand. At night, we fill the air with song, our hope. Our hope remains unshaken. At night, we fill the air with song. 
hope is still alive. That's why we sing. Peter Van Peter Van a compon pookie, Peter Van a Peter Van a compon pookie, up ahead we'll see. Up ahead we'll understand why up ahead we'll see. Up ahead we'll understand. Peter Van now, Peter Van now, Peter Van a compon pookie, Peter Van now, Peter Van now, Peter Van a compon pookie, up ahead we'll see. Up ahead we'll understand why. Up ahead we'll understand why. Thank you. Growing up here, I I went to school and it was very American, <laughs> and I went home, and it was it was uh, it was very Haitian at home, um, and I spoke Creole at home, and I was immersed in my Haitian culture at home. Um, and with extended family. And I've been going to Haiti uh, throughout my life. My parents were, were really big on me knowing where they came from. Uh, so I would understand where I came from. I have a, a deep love for Haiti. And uh, in 2010, when the earthquake happened, I know the world was watching the news uh, because it was such a massive earthquake. And you know, watching the news to see what would happen. But for me, I was I was watching the news because we couldn't get in touch with people. And I I was watching like nonstop news, thinking that maybe I'll see a cousin or someone. And then I had to stop watching the news. I remember I watched an episode of uh, I think it was Larry King, and they were showing. Uh, like these big construction uh, trucks uh, that you would like put like dirt or like other construction materials in, like piling things up in. Uh, and there were bodies in those trucks that they were transporting to like mass graves. And so that was a lot for me to see on TV, just the action of that happening. And I just thought, wow, like there's a, I, I know I'm not the only Haitian person who's watching the news, just trying to like get an understanding of what's happening and also um, not being able to get in touch with family. And they were showing this kind of like removal of the bodies, you know? And so I, I stopped watching the news and I wrote a poem. She continues. Up Ahead We'll See was my way of uh, holding on to hope and also uh, a way to keep uh, the issue of the earthquake relevant, even after the news stopped covering the after effects of it and the impact it had on so many people. And it was also my way to, you know, really pay homage to a very resilient people. Dee goes on to explain how her culture, heritage, and identity as a Haitian-American take shape in her writing, acting, and visual art. I think my identity as, like, my, my Haitian culture has shown up in all of my art forms. <laughs> um, it's definitely shown up in poetry, you know, because my first book is Dreamy in Creole. I mean, the whole book is, you know, is, is, commit, is, is dedicated to me being Haitian. Um, and my culture and heritage and Haitian history. Um, so poetry definitely 
Um, and then I have played a Haitian woman on stage, you know, in theater. Uh, had that one woman show called Simon. Uh, Simon was a character that I wrote poems. It was a poetic play. It was poems, but it made the one woman show play. Um, and she was a survivor of the earthquake. Um, and then recently I was in a play called Sides with Creative Action Unlimited. And uh, my character was Nadej Victor. I had fun um, doing a Haitian accent um, because I've I've listened to Haitian accents my entire life. Although Creole was my first language, you know, I because I grew up here, I I didn't really have uh, the accent that like say my father has. Um, so it was cool to play Nadej uh, in the play. So poetry, theater. And then in my art, what I will say about my art is that it's not necessarily specifically on Haitian culture, but I love bright colors. <laughs> like I, I, will paint, I will paint in such bright colors all the time. And I know that has to do with the bright colors that I see in the art, I've seen in the art um, that Haitians make. You know, uh, when you're there, it's very colorful and the art is very vibrant. And yeah, I, I love a bright green. <laughs> <laughs> or blue, you know, like yeah, I just yeah. love bright color. And that comes from the influence of Haitian art. D. Collin believes in Nina Simone's words that, quote, an artist's duty is to reflect the times. And she often says that, quote, if the art didn't move you, then I didn't do my job. You can find out more about her work and all of her current and upcoming projects at her website, dcollin.com. For Hudson Mohawk Magazine, I'm Tom Francis. Dee Cullen has been involved at the sanctuary for many years and is a board member. You can find previous Capital Region Poet Highlights by Tom Francis at mediasanctuary.org. Well, that's our show. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Kayla McPherson. And I'm David. We want to thank all of the volunteers who made this episode policy po possible. Contributors to today's episode include Mark Dunley, Jacob Boston, and Tom Francis, along with Kaylin McPherson and me, David Moore. We want to hear from you. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Media Sanctuary, or send us an email to hmm at mediasanctuary.org. Tune in weekdays at 7 a.m., 9 a.m., and 6 p.m. to hear local news or stream Sanctuary Radio at mediasanctuary.org. Full episodes and individual stories are, are, on, are available on demand on our website and on your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you listening, and radio continues to grow. Until next time, folks.